0: Welcome to Navigating Real Estate, where we discuss the skills, strategies, and success mindset you need to become a top-producing real estate broker. I'm your host, Ryan Bucola. We've seen an increased interest in ranch and land properties both here in Central Oregon and throughout the Mountain West, in part due to the pandemic and people shifting away from cities and towards rural areas, and maybe part due to the Yellowstone effect Whatever is continuing to drive it, the interest seems like it's here to stay. I'm excited to be here with two ranch and land experts in real estate, Brian and McKenzie. Welcome. Thank you. Hey, Ryan. Is it Rip and Beth sitting over here with me? <laughs> I love it. Brian Meese and McKenzie Charlton are well-known real estate brokers in ranch and land. With their combined experience and authentic love for the ranch life, Brian and McKenzie bring unparalleled expertise to anyone looking to purchase or sell ranch and land properties in central Oregon. Brian Meese has been a real estate broker for 41 years and a resident of, of Oregon for even longer. Brian holds his accredited land consultant and certified commercial investment member designations through the national association of realtors and is a graduate of the realtors Institute. Interesting fact about Brian, his great-grandparents homesteaded on the John Day River in North Gillum County in the late 1880s. That is amazing. Amazing. Mackenzie has established herself as a leader in the ranch and land division at Remax Key Properties. Real estate runs in her family. Mackenzie's mom and dad and brother are real estate brokers in Medford, Oregon. Interesting fact about Mackenzie, she competes as a barrel racer and trains barrel racing horses on her property along with her adorable family. The sport has been a lifelong passion for Mackenzie. In fact, she is about to wrap up her last rodeo of her season, the Hell on Hooves Rodeo Tour, as one of the top five racers. When she lived in Ashland, she helped her parents build a 42-horse boarding facility with multiple arenas. Wow. That's a lot of knowledge and experience in the room today. Thank you both for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Ryan.
0: Fantastic. Hell on hooves. Let's go. Yes, sir. Let's go. First off, let's define ranch and land in Central Oregon. What are the specific attributes of ranch
2: and land property?
1: I'll let you take this one, Mr. Meese.
2: So, by definition, uh, through our local MLS system, a ranch needs to have at least 40 acres. Um, from a productive standpoint, that's not the only limitation. Um, it just depends on what type of ranch or farm we're dealing with. Um, we have, You can have row crop farms with high soil qualities, you can have dry land pasture, you can have all a myriad of different types of farm and ranch ground, timberland, um, all of it has unique capabilities and qualities in that it typically does not reside inside of a city limit. Um, you have (laughs) a lot of different mapping and land issues When you get out of the city, in the city you're dealing with a simple lot one, block two, ABC subdivision. When you get out in the country, uh, it's a lot more involved and takes in a lot of different considerations. What else, Mackenzie?
1: You know, to go along with ranches, people always discuss with us as well, hobby farms. And uh, those we do deal with quite a bit as well. And those are typically closer to five or 10 acres and consist of one or two cows, some chickens, a couple of horses for the kids to ride around on, and a pig.
0: Enough for a, a farm deferral, right? You bet. With the increased interest in like in these types of properties, what are some common questions that you're hearing from buyers?
2: <sighs> I guess the... The first thing that people have to realize is that when you're buying land um, of a substantial size, it's uh, inherent that it comes with work. Um, whether you're going to raise horses, you're going to raise hay, um, or you're just going to be there living and residing and taking care of it, um, the trees need trimming, the weeds need whacking, you know, the animals need taken care of, uh, and there's just there's work that goes along with it so the first thing people need to realize when they're getting out of the city out of a postage stamp sized lot is that it comes with uh some uh, requirements that you take care of it so um, i try to talk to our clients and customers very seriously about what they're getting into when we start this about how much water pipe they got to move a couple times a week yeah a couple of water pipes to move Um uh, yeah. The uh, if you're moving it with a wheel line, the wheel line motor breaks down, or the circle quits working, or the timer goes off. Um, it's if you're raising horses or pigs or chickens, they're more demanding than having a cute, adorable family at home. Right. Right.
1: You know, most of the time, Ryan, when we're showing these properties, um, buyers come to us, and you know their kids go to school with another kid whose parents live on a farm and the parents get to talking and they're talking about, Oh yeah, I lease out my pasture for $4,000 a month or, Oh yeah, I get such a huge tax break on my property taxes. Cause I'm in an EFU zone and that sounds wonderful, <laughs> you know, until we go out there and we start showing them around this property and, uh, they have no idea what a well is. They, they don't understand that there's different, uh, irrigation districts and that there's seniority to them. And, uh, You know, some of them get more water than others. They just, you know, see a listing with some irrigation and know that you can lease out a pasture for more if you've got irrigation and they don't understand that, you know, uh, maybe Arnold gets turned off in June while Central Oregon Irrigation District goes through August.
0: Right. Good segue, Mackenzie. Water. We can't talk about ranch and land without talking about water the how-tos of irrigation, water rights are essential to this way of life. What would you say are the most important things for buyers to know about water?
1: Well, uh, the elephant in the room is that uh, we There is no water? (laughs) We we live in the desert. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we we do have a shortage of water. There's no hiding that. Um, Wells are going dry. Uh, people are having to deepen their wells or um, sometimes the state tells you that you can't deepen your well and you got to drill a new well. And uh, I can tell you right now, I just punched a new well at my property and it cost me $60,000. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. How deep did you go? 738 feet. (laughs) So we
2: just, we just went 300 feet up at our family ranch and we were in at 15,000 just for the hole, just for the hole. And that hole's, worth nothing unless that has water at the bottom of it. Right. When we're talking about water uh, on rural properties, there's two types of water we're talking about. We're talking about irrigation water, uh, and we're talking about domestic drinking water. You don't have city of Bend water served up to your house out in the country, typically. You're gonna have to have a well, or you're gonna have a natural spring, or you're gonna have to have water hauled to you. And then on the other side is the irrigation side of it. Irrigation water rights are appropriated by date. So if you have an 1896 water right, uh, like Central Oregon Irrigation and Tumbleville Irrigation, then your water rights are much more secure than a North Unit Irrigation District that was formed in the 1900s. Which is kind of ironical because that gets us into soil types uh the north unit irrigation district typically has much higher quality soils and they're the ones that can actually grow you know uh, productive uh financially rewarding crops uh, whereas the central oregon irrigation district they do have real farmers but they also have a lot of many farmers that are just raising horses as pasture art um, Doing, so, doing 4h. Yeah, yeah. doing 4H, yeah. having you know a horse to take on a trail ride. Um, it just it, it's kind of ironical, like I said that the best soils in Central Oregon uh, have the lowest quality water rights and that's what's um, creating problems right now because of the drought and the shortage. Can you guys talk to us a little bit about the difference between
0: septic and sewer? It seems like this is a common point of confusion for buyers today. Is It's important to understand. Can you walk us through that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this brings up a really good point of, you know, when you're going out to look at these type of properties and you're uh, not familiar with them, it is very crucial that you have an agent that understands septic systems, that understands water, that understands rural property, um, because you could, <laughs> you know, move into a house and not know that it's, you know, hooked up to a uh, city sewer, you know, or it's hooked up to a septic system. Um, out in the country, we don't have city sewer. It's it's just not going to happen. So there are different types of septic systems that are hooked up to these houses, uh, they typically have tanks, and they need to be pumped, you know, every couple of years. And you have leach lines, and people come and they want to expand the house, or you know, they have their plans, but you can't accomplish that because you're going to run over your leach lines. Right. <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, it's always interesting to go to the county, and you know, when you find you look for records, they don't have them. You know, you yeah. try to figure out. <laughs> figure out where what's what and where's where and there there are no as built and they don't have any records absolutely and 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 that's
2: uh, especially true on the older properties you know if you've a septic system that was put in back 1970 or older you're not going to have any records Um, and it's almost impossible to get it brought up to code yeah Uh, all you can do is have it inspected make sure it's working and pray that it keeps working Um, in the city you pay for that service to have the sewer there. So it's always going to be there, um, or the city's responsible for it. You're not. And that gets back to when you're out in the country, you are responsible for so many of these little things that are taken care of for you when you live inside of a city.
1: In the city, you can just flush your worries away. Flush your worries <laughs> away. Welcome to Central Oregon. <laughs>
0: What about well water? We touched a little bit about depth of well. Do you guys have you want to you want to cover anything else? Anything that that buyers should know or sellers even should know and understand about the current state of, of wells in Central Oregon?
1: You know, Ryan, we have a perfect example right now. We have a listing out on Highway Twenty, and it is actually hooked up to Avion Water. And I can't tell you how many buyers that we have walked through there, and they see that as a negative. They see it as a bill. Uh, their agent hasn't informed them at the fact that Avion water is gold—you're never going to run out of it. Uh, yeah, you might have to pay a water bill every month, but I'll tell you what—that is a heck of a lot cheaper than uh, having to drill new well to yeah. get to get water to drink. Yeah.
2: So one other thing that's going on in Central Oregon now is because of the spotted frog and environmental pressures, um, they are having to conserve water, and that is driving them to pipe a lot of the irrigation district water and ultimately it will all be piped and pressurized so you're talking about canals canals going away turning into pipes um when that happens all the leakage that has been happening out of those canals stops because we're not wasting that water wasting now the guy that is using that wasted water for a 40 or 50 foot deep well uh he's going to be unhappy but most of the wells here in central Oregon are going to range to get to good water. You're going to range 400, 500, 600. If you go out southeast, you're going to be pushing 1,000 feet to get enough water to run a house. So it's just that the drought along with the spotted frog and the way we're having to adapt our irrigation program um, is, is making a difference to some people. And negatively for those that are using that excess water
0: so by, know, for drinking water. So by piping those canals, the seepage basically it, that is currently in the, basically what we would call the ground, the groundwater table mm-hmm. goes away and, and we just go deeper into the aquifer for those wells. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying?
2: Exactly. And uh, you know, that brings up a good point. There are two types of water when you look at the big water picture and, the irrigation world, one of them is surface water rights, where you're taking it out of a creek or a stream, and the other one is groundwater rights. Um, for the most part, those two can't be mixed. Um, if you're drilling a well uh, and you find water at 50 feet and it's not enough and you have to go to 500 feet to get a good source of water, then you have to patch up the shallow source of water so the different aquifers don't mix. Um you know, can take away some potential water in your well, but those are the rules, and that's what the well masters and those guys, you know, check for when they come back and look at your well after you've drilled it. Them's the rules, huh?
1: Also, also, when you're purchasing a home that does have a well, it is very important that you do a well flow test. Uh, You want to test the quality of the water that's coming out of the ground. You want to make sure that there's no... Nothing in it that's going to you know make you or your livestock sick. Uh, and you want to make sure that your well is producing accurately. People buy a house on a well and they think that they're just producing water for only their house. But the reality check of it nowadays is that um, they're not doing what we call stock runs anymore from the irrigation system, whatever irrigation district that you're in. And people were watering their livestock off of those stock runs, <clears throat> excuse me. And so now you're having to water your livestock off of your well. Interesting. That's a lot of water. Yeah. Those animals drink a lot of water, and um, you you really want to make sure that your well is producing a good amount of water. And people want to do a one hour well flow test and. Personally, when we have a buyer that's wanting to purchase a home off of a well, we suggest a four-hour well flow test. And we want to make sure that whatever that well is producing at one hour, it's also producing at four hours. And that's going to tell you, it's going to give you a better idea of how good that that well truly is.
0: Yeah. Is it a gallons per minute, gallons per second, gallons per hour? What, what's that test look like?
2: It's gallons per minute. Gallons per it minute. takes a minimum of about five gallons per minute in a well to supply a house Mm -hmm. and all your domestic uses. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, you know, that's just the way it is. That's just (laughs) the way it (laughs) is. You just need, you need enough to make it flow. And that if three toilets flush and the dishwasher's gone, that it all works. Let's talk about
0: cost and profitability and operational, operational cost on, on a ranch property, farm property. The, you know, demand is expensive and and buyers, you know, they want to, I think the dream is people want to move to central Oregon. They want to buy acreage. They want a big house, um, on a big piece of property and it's a big investment. What are some ways that, that buyers can offset their mortgages to, and earn some income off their land?
1: Yeah. So I, I know that firsthand, we built a 42 horse boarding facility in Ashland, Oregon. And, um, this was back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and back then we were getting two hundred and fifty dollars per horse to three hundred dollars per horse. Nowadays we're getting four to five hundred dollars per horse.
0: Oh, yeah, eight oh nine was it was there weren't a lot of nickels to rub together then. No, no, yeah. and
1: and that's times forty two. Yeah, wow. I I mean yes, you have liability insurance, and yeah, you're paying to feed them, but um, it is a huge. Profit. It is very profitable.
2: Some opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So b- besides with- the animals, you know, the horses or cattle, you also have the option of whether you do it or have a neighbor that's a, you know, active farmer do it. You can raise hay, you can raise other crops, um, or you can just, you know, turn your irrigated ground into pasture and supplement your livestock in the winter with hay because it's not going to work year-round on the pasture. Um, So you need to consider a year-round operation when you have the livestock. And obviously, your um, busy time on your crop rotations and stuff is in the summer when they're growing, and you have to cut, bale, hay, um, or harvest whatever other commodities you're growing. the other piece of the valuation is just appreciation. Um, as Will Rogers said, by land, they're not making any more of the stuff. So over the long term, um, you should see an appreciation in your property. Um, ideally, you look at property from a future value standpoint. If you're at the edge of the city limits, maybe someday you can have that uh transition your property transition into other uses uh, whether it just be a zone change from a exclusive farm use to a multi-use agriculture where homes are permitted and the lot sizes are smaller potentially uh, you're in the right location you turn into an industrial park Um, there's pluses and minuses to all that Uh, but the reality is a lot of profits made on rural land are made when the property transitions from one use to a higher and better use, because the situation changes in your favor,
0: which is really a function of time, right? Very
2: much a function of time. Yeah, you can you know investing in land can be a long term hold. Um, there's not a lot of return other than you get to pay property taxes and insurance. Uh, but if you're just sitting on a bare piece of land and waiting for it to appreciate you need to have some holding power and you need to be there for a while.
0: I just had Cindy King on the podcast and we were talking about affordable housing and we were talking about the basic, uh, you know, how, how houses become houses and that, that a lot of land just gets farmed and toiled and, you know, is not profitable for a really, really long time. And then, comes into a spot where that use changes and and that that owner that farmer reaps finally the benefit and that function of time and and um, people just think that you know land is you know that those people get rich or are rich and all of those things so i just you know that that's a really one other
2: one other small item that impacts the profitability or the return on a piece of property. Big big player in the profitability is the soil types. We mentioned the difference between uh, the North Unit Irrigation Area and the banned Central Oregon Irrigation Area. The North Unit Area has much higher quality soils, so you can actually grow crops that will make you a profit. If you're dealing with very low quality soil types, then your water requirements are much higher, your fertilizer requirements are a lot higher, and if you don't have a big chunk of ground, you're going to never catch up with the finances. So it comes back to the quality of the soil, your water rights, and that impacts your uh, profitability or your ability to get any kind of a profit off a piece of property.
1: Not only that, but it also determines where you can build your house on the property. I mean, soil is just such a huge. It's a, it's really kind of a beast, and you have to have an agent that knows the ins and outs of the, the of the ground, right. of the land. Uh, if you don't, you really can get yourself in a pickle. You can purchase a piece of property and <laughs> not be able to build your dream house.
0: Right from a sales standpoint, it's really interesting because as as agents and brokers, we always we want to we, we don't want to say no. To opportunities. And and it's very specialized. You know, you got to, you really have to know your stuff when you're selling ranches. You got to know your GPS stuff. You got to, you know, you got to know how to navigate your water rights, navigate your corners, navigate your soil types, all of it. And it's, it's really, it's a very, very specialized opportunity. And it's, uh, you know, people, people forget that.
2: And I mean, most people don't know it, but the Realtors Code of Ethics Article 11 requires that if you're going to deal in a unique niche in the marketplace, such as rural land and ranches, that you need to be qualified to do that. And just, you know, selling houses for a few years does not necessarily qualify you to go out and start taking on ranch projects on your own. Yeah. Um, You definitely need to be qualified. You need to reach out to qualified brokers that really have a experience and history doing rural type of real estate. Yeah.
1: And living it. Living I mean, it, yeah. Brian and I both live this.
0: So. You got your side by side and you're ready to show. I like it. Absolutely. So let's talk about hobby farms because everybody wants chickens. A dozen <laughs> eggs is $10 a dozen today in the grocery store. And uh, people love the idea of raising their own vegetables, beef, milk, doing having the kids do FFA and 4-H, what do buyers need to understand and consider if they have a dream of living off the land?
1: You bet, Ryan. Well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, when you raise your own animals or your own vegetables, you you know what they're eating. You know what, you, and in turn, you know what you're eating. Uh, you know, it is a little bit scary to think that when we go into the grocery store and we buy some beef off the counter and we compare it to a grass-fed cow, that we've raised in our own home, just looking at the two slabs of meat is very interesting <laughs> to say the least. So you can eat, produce food for your family off of three to five acres. You know, you, we've been talking about irrigation and we've been talking about big ranches and this sort of stuff, but you don't necessarily have to deal with irrigation systems and, uh, soil types and water rights and this sort of thing, you can produce, you can uh, raise a beef, you can raise a pig, and you can have some chickens and grow a garden on three to five acres very easily.
2: Although I will say that none of those animals or crops raise themselves. So I'll go back, <laughs> I'll go back to the beginning. And you know, when you go to the country and you're looking for some productive use of that, you can expect to put some work into it. To make it happen, yeah,
1: Brian. That's what the kids are for. Okay, <laughs> Boy, I've, I've. in
2: the old days, that's why they, you know, everybody had ten kids. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've now, fed the pigs a lot. Now we <laughs> have great big jumbo tractors and equipment and implements that are gargantuan um, because we don't have the manpower.
0: Yeah.
1: So you're saying I should have more children.
2: Oh, let's not go there. Let's Let's not not go go there. there. Is
0: there anything else you guys want to highlight around ranch and land properties in central Oregon?
2: So let me just go to the federal level for a moment and touch on two key issues. There's a lawsuit in Tennessee regarding an issue called the open fields doctrine where the federal government and local governments are uh, saying they have the right to enter your property without warrant or notice. Um, And they're differentiating between your home and your property. So if they want to go on your property and wander around looking for poachers or whatever, they can do that. They still can't come in your house, but it's still a violation of your property rights that we need to watch because that's part of what realtors do is, you know, watch and protect property rights for ourselves and our clients. Uh, The other issue that's out there that's getting reworked right now is called WOTUS, and that's the waters of the U.S., And the current administration back in Washington, D.C. is making it much more difficult uh, for property owners to control their own water. They're starting to talk about ponds and canals and dry riverbeds as being waters that the government should be controlling and you shouldn't have control of it. So WOTUS is another big federal issue that's going on from the East Coast to the West Coast. And we just need to be aware of everything, not just locally, but federally we have laws uh, being put in place or, you know, driving what you can and can't do with your property. Policy, yeah. So we just, you know, you need to realize there is, it's a good word, policy. It's not always good, especially for rural Oregon, rural America. Um, They're just, we're getting outnumbered. Yeah. The rural folks are not as vocal and there's definitely not as many of them anymore as there used to be.
0: Yeah. I think Oregon is a great example of that, right? You have not a lot of population and the population that you have is heavily lo- dense, densely located in, you know, three or four spots and, and the rest is very rural and just doesn't have the weight of the, uh, you know, the weight of the, of the, the density. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, so Brian and McKenzie, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys are a wealth of knowledge and your clients are are lucky to have you in the corner.
2: Thank you it's so a, much.
0: It's been a great time. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you for joining us on Navigating Real Estate. Listen, follow, drop us a review. Your feedback means a lot. And if you like what you're hearing, make sure to share it.